Where do you go for real, lasting joy? Where do you go? What activity? What situation? Do you feel that if you are there doing, you will have real joy, lasting pleasure? In your heart, in your mind, answer that. If you're there doing that, you will have joy and comfort and peace and gladness. The Bible tells us there are places to go, things to do that will satisfy and give joy and pleasure. But the Bible also tells us There are places we choose to go, things we do that will not satisfy, that will cause potential great danger and heartache. Here on Sunday mornings when we come together, we're looking here at GPC in this great book of Jonah, only four chapters. We're seeing its background, and today our, ver- our focus is from this prayer, chapter 2, verse 8, just one verse, but we've got to see its context. Jonah is a preacher. He's a missionary. He's an evangelist, and God tell- has used him earlier, and God is giving him a new assignment. Go to Nineveh, that great city that is engaged in evil behavior, the capital of the Syrian empire. Those who are described by God as evil took great pride in the atrocities and the abuse and the torture and the cruelty they inflicted upon those they defeated. They were so proud of their atrocities, the cruelty. They would depict them in paintings to show what they would do to those they defeated. And when God said to Jonah, Jonah, go, Jonah responded by saying, no. Jonah in his heart felt he would have greater pleasure and joy in disobeying God than in obeying him. So instead of obeying, he tries to run from God. Instead of going to Nineveh, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship, boat going from Joppa to Tarshish. He paid the fare aboard the boat. He went down to his room and he went to sleep. But God was not taking his rebellion lightly. God, because he loved Jonah, he disciplined him. And that's what God does. Those he loves, he disciplines. So when he takes us through discipline, if you're his, if you're his and he is yours and he disciplines you and it hurts, it's because he loves you. He's going to bring you back, hopefully. That's what he's doing to Jonah. 
to get Jonah's attention, to turn him around from disobeying, from trying to find his joy outside of God's best. God sends a storm, a terrible storm. I'm calling it a category five. It was so vicious that it frightens these sailors aboard the ship. They realize they're going to die. They're going to drown. So they begin throwing the cargo overboard, trying to lighten the ship. The captain goes down and finds Jonah in a deep sleep. He fusses at him. He disciplines him. He corrects him. What do you mean sleeping? Call out to your God. We're calling out to our gods. There is a God out there who can control this. Go to your God. Jonah admits they are going through this terrible hurricane because of his disobedience. In essence, because he is trying to find his pleasure and joy outside of God's best. Yes, my God, says Jonah, is the God of heaven, the God of the sea, and the God of dry land. I'm responsible. I'm running from God. I won't obey him. I'm paraphrasing. You read it. Study it. Throw me overboard. Get rid of me. And all will be well. These sailors are more concerned about Jonah than Jonah is concerned about them. They're the non-Christians. He's the Christian. The non-Christians are more concerned about this Christian than this Christian is about them. They didn't want to throw him overboard. They tried even harder to row to land, but it could not. They could not succeed. So they throw him overboard. And from the text, it appears he begins to sink. A slow yet quick drowning. As he goes down, he says, I'm in distress. He gives us in verse chapter 2 his prayer. He uses the words distressed. I'm in the the very belly of death. I'm crying out to God. You know what he says to God? God, you cast me into this ocean. These were your waves and your billows. Did God throw Jonah overboard? Yeah. He used the sailors to do it. But Jonah knew he was being disciplined by God. He says, I began sinking and and the weeds, weeds were around my head and I went down to the bottom, to the very root of the mountains. I was there. But God, you sent that. And the Bible says, God sent a fish. Before Jonah drowned to death, to swallow him, he stayed in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And then God, in verse 10, commanded that fish to vomit Jonah up on the ocean. Trying to run from God, God would not let him. I am greatly benefiting from Pastor Tim Keller 
in his series of sermons on Jonah. Pastor Keller, a former preaching teacher of Redeemer Church in New York, would preach through Jonah each 10, every 10 years. And for God getting the attention of people, not saying she's a Christian, but Keller tells about J.K. Rawlings, her commencement address at Harvard. J.K. Rawlings is the author of Harry Potter. And as J.K. Rawlings is speaking at the commencement of Harvard, she says to those who heard her, her life was a mess. Short-lived, disastrous marriage with a young child, unemployed. She said in Britain's standard of living, she was just above homeless. In Britain's economy, just above homeless. I say, for you who are believers, God comes after us to get our attention, to bring us back, to capture our hearts and our minds. But our focus today is on verse 8 of this prayer, chapter 2, verse 8. Look at it, please. I want us to see it both from the ESV and the NIV. Here is, here is Jonah's conclusion of all that he's been experiencing, trying to run from God, God pursuing him, God bringing him down, punishing him, disciplining him because of God's love. Here's Jonah's summary. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This is what Jonah is saying. Folk, this is the conclusion. Don't pay attention to your idols that will not satisfy. Do not pay attention. Do not give as priority those things that you think will satisfy and will fail you. Value the most important. Jonah, tell us about this. What are you saying? Jonah is saying he tried to find his fulfillment in vain Idols. For him, it was the idol of arrogance, of pride, of selfishness. Jonah pursued out of pride, disobeying God, thinking that he knew better than God, that there'd be more pleasure and joy in disobeying God, running from God, than in submitting. Jonah says that was a vain, vain idol. It was an idol. It was an idol. I paraphrase again Pastor Tim Keller of what is an idol. An idol is when you and I pursue anything or anyone more than 
finding your joy in Jesus Christ. That's an idol. When you pursue anything or anyone for your joy apart from pleasing Christ. Anything, anyone that you think will satisfy you more than obeying Jesus Christ. Jonah had an idol. It was his pride. Thinking he was better than those of Nineveh. That they did not deserve his mercy, God's mercy. But he did, is what he thought. I like what also the NIV says of this same verse. Look at the NIV. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Are you clinging? Are you clinging? Are you wanting to hold on to what God says is a worthless idol? If we are, you're forfeiting. You're missing out on the grace that could be yours, the pleasure, the joy, the thrill, the adventure that could be yours. When we say, no, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to find my pleasure here. Your pleasure. What are these idols that appeal to us? Of which we say if we hold on, if we cling to them, we're going to find happiness. We're going to find joy that is greater than Pleasing Christ. What are these idols? Does the Bible tell us? These are idols to avoid. These are vital idols to let go. Don't, don't go there. Yes. We see it in the New Testament. Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and following. Colossians chapter 3, please. Verse 5, we're told this is idolatry. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and following, please. We're told by the Holy Spirit working in Paul. Chapter 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. It's idolatry. Okay, he's told us don't cling. To these worthless idols, they will not satisfy. They'll keep you from experiencing the fullness of grace, okay? Well, what are these idols? What are they? How does it look? Here in Colossians 3, we're told this is idolatry, and we're to put it to death. What is it? There's five listed here. Four are focused on 
immoral, impure relationships with others. He calls it immoral and impure. Don't go there. What are they? The first immoral, idol, is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Thinking that in a relationship outside of marriage, there's pleasure. The Bible teaches God's very best is one man, one woman in marriage to experience the joy he intends. That's what God says. One man, one woman in marriage. That marital relationship, that's purity. That's moral. It's going outside of that wonderful limitation. You're missing. You're missing the grace that could be yours. I'm thankful for RUF, Reformed University Fellowship Ministries, again, right here in our area where Erskine reaches out to Piedmont Tech and Lander, and we have a ministry in Anderson University and Clemson and colleges and universities throughout this nation and in some other nations. Pastor Paul Patrick is our RUF leader out of Erskine. And for his almost, or his 17 years, he has a series. He's doing it right now. I went out Sunday night to hear him, Sunday night a week ago. He's doing a series. This is the third time he's done it over these 17 years. He's calling it dating, marriage, and sexuality. Dating, marriage, sexuality. In that order, in that order, one man, one woman in marriage, purity, morale, moral. When he first did this series, and again, he said this very publicly, when he first began this series 17 years ago, the question was asked, how many genders are there? How many genders? Of course, there's what? Two genders, male and female. Folk, this is what our young people are facing. Okay? 17 years ago, there were two genders. In 2014, ABC News said there are no longer two genders. In 2014, ABC News says, There's 58 different genders. That's what ABC News said. 58. The recent data 
How many genders are there? 112 different genders that people say they are. From two, 17 years ago, 2014, 58 today, as many as 112. That's what we're facing. We've got to say, what does the Bible say? What is moral? What is pure? What is immoral? What is impure? Sexual immorality is an idol that cannot satisfy. Don't go there. Let go. Impurity. Impurity. The word there in the Greek, not that I'm trying to impress you, but I want you to hear what it is. Pornania. 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 Trying to find the pleasure that is deadly, the sickening. It cannot satisfy. Don't cling. Don't cling. Don't hold on to that worthless idol. Any form of pornography. Men and women are affected. Passions. When our passions get the best of us. By the reading material, by the movies, by the music, by the articles, by the books. Impure, immoral passions take over. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, evil, evil desires. Folk, this is written for the church. This is written to the family. This is written to us. We must live in practice who we are in principle. That's what he's saying. If you're in Christ in principle, you died with him. If you're in Christ, when Christ was resurrected, you've been resurrected with him. If you're in Christ, you're seated with him. That's who we are if you're in him in principle but are you living in practice? Are you living in practice? Avoid living incompatible outside of Christ. Don't try to live there. Evil desires. Covetousness. Coveting. You've got it. I want it. I need it. I'll not be happy until I have it. Covetousness. 
Christian. Christian. All of this, he says, is idolatry. Don't cling to it. Let go. Christ wants his very best for his family. And he says his best is through purity, morality. Not immorality or impurity. Then he goes on quickly. Just look at these others. Verse 8. Still in Colossians 3, 8. But now you must put these all away. He's continuing to focus on that big idol. Seen in these different ways. Now he says in the context, anger. Wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. In the very context of continuing about idolatry, he says, our anger robs us from the grace that could be ours. Anger. But then that anger goes to another level. That anger goes into wrath. Wrath is a deeper form of anger. It's boiling over in anger. It's one thing to be angry, but then you're just boiling over. Fits of rage that leads to what? Malice. Such a deep, intense hatred for the person or persons. Deep, deep hatred. Wanting them dead, if necessary, killed. Anger. Wrath. Boiling over. That leads to malice. We need to hear this. These worthless idols that promise to satisfy that leads to what? Slander. Slandering another to their face or when they're not there to defend themselves. Slandering. Trying to bring them down so that you look better. Obscene talk. Obscene talk. Gutter. Immoral talk. Filthy trash. Immoral, impure talk. Jokes. Conversations. Family, how does all of this apply? What do we learn from this warning? That God gives us through Jonah. Where God by the Holy Spirit says, don't cling. Don't cling. Don't try to hold on to these worthless idols. This impure, immoral, 
ask the question. There are two questions that I'm asking with all honesty. Are you killing these idols? Remember, that's the word that was used. Put to death. Put to death, says Colossians 3. Put to death. Kill it. It's an everyday fight. It's an everyday battle to put these to death. Now, there are different ways we can kill something. I'm suggesting we use the method of starvation. Starve it to death. These these passions, these cravings, these false idols that promise to satisfy Put them to death. Starve them. Don't feed them. Okay? So how do we starve them? How do we, how do we starve these idols? You don't feed them. We feed this idol through music. Don't go there. If it's going to stimulate the music, the visual, the music. The articles, the books, the videos, the TVs, the programs. Starve it. Don't go there. Starve it. These idols that want to destroy you and too often do destroy. It's a false lie. It cannot, nor will it satisfy. Don't cling, don't cling. So are you, and secondly and lastly, what daily actions are you taking to put these to death? You say you're starving them. What actions are you taking? What are the actions that we can and must take Starve these cravings by the scriptures. Reading the word, studying the word, learning the word, not only individually and as a family, but with others. One of the best ministries, and it was here before I came. I don't get credit. Of this ministry and others like us is that of small groups where we read together, we study together, we learn together in a small setting and pray together. If you're not a part of some kind of small group, men with men, ladies with ladies, couples, singles, students, it's the word, hiding God's word in our hearts that we will not sin against him. It's word, it's prayer. But not just individually, individual prayer, but praying in a group where we can honestly say, I'm struggling. I failed. I gave in to that worthless idol. I thought it would satisfy, but it didn't. Oh, it did for a brief time. There was a thrill, but it didn't last. Prayer, 
the scriptures in community, in community with one another. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken, says the scriptures. Don't attempt to obey and honor Christ outside community. Doesn't work. Starve it. Say no. But in community, in prayer, in the word. Men with men, ladies with ladies, couples, family, do not cling to worthless idols and forfeit the grace that could be yours. It's through Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection as your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection. Hallelujah.